and welcome to your new favorite bookish podcast, Fully Booked and Caffeinated. I'm Heather. And I'm Kelsey. And on today's episode, we will be discussing the worldwide best-selling series, The Hunger Games by Suzanne Collins, as well as the movie adaptation. So before we get into the book, as usual, let's discuss our wonderful coffee drinks. I'm excited to hear about your Nespresso con- concoction, if that's what you had. It's, it's always an espresso concoction, okay? On the, except for the random once in a while where I venture outside of the house. That day was not today. So <laughs> I had a caramel cookie pod for Shut my up. coffee. That's a thing. So, uh, yeah, it's a thing. <laughs> does this just, does every episode just make you jealous about my Nespresso? Yes, it does. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Just wait for all of the, for us to get back into holiday flavors. They get wild oh sometimes. Um, so that with my extra shot of espresso and a little vanilla caramel creamer. Iced, of course. It's hitting the spot. That's what I'm really excited about when I finally use my Nespresso is I can make iced coffee. Yes. Because I just right away in like the K cup stuff and it just isn't good. Yeah. And they sell pods that are iced coffee pods, but I don't use those ones because they're not as strong. Mm. So I just use the regular pods. But still, you can still make it iced, which is great. Yeah. And you can make a latte with cold milk. And there's all those fancy TikToks that people make with like the fancy iced coffees. Yeah. I have to get like those... "Mm." Those fancy um, cups from Amazon yeah. that are like beer cans, but they're cups. Yeah. Yes, with <laughs> the like glass straws. Yes, yeah, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so, you know, what are you drinking? You know, at least you make fancy coffee. I have to go <laughs> buy my fancy coffee. I I got a uh, large iced caramel coffee with sweet cream cold foam stuff from Dunkin'. I mean, delicious. I'm Their sorry that you isn't... had to go somewhere to get it, but it sounds delicious. Their cold foam isn't as good as Starbucks. Yeah, but that's it's like that's facts. But I did turn you on to that cinnamon caramel cold brew oh, at Starbucks. It's so good. That that's mm-hmm. my little weekend treat, and it was delicious. Yeah. I know. I was obsessed with it. I got it when we were in Virginia, and I was like, "This is so good." Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so cheers. Cheers. All right. So Suzanne Collins, who wrote this fantastic book series, which we're only talking about the first one today, which was still amazing. So she began her professional career writing for children's television in 1991. 1991? Yeah, I know. She's old. Not old. Sorry. Like, not like, you know what I mean? She's older. But... I was excited to read this because she worked on several Nickelodeon shows. <gasps> which ones? Which ones? Uh-huh. She did The Mystery Files of Shelby Woo and one of my all-time favorites, Calissa Explains It All. <gasps> I love Clarissa Explains uh-huh. It All. Oh, I Felicity read that Jones and I was like, Hart. no way. That's uh-huh. awesome. Okay, yep. cool. Yep. So, and then she also... Uh, did multiple stories for preschooler shows, which okay. I've also watched, like Little Bear. <gasps> Do you little remember bear. Little Bear? <laughs> yes, with his little upturned nose. Oh, I remember uh-huh. Little Bear. Uh huh. And Oswald. 
Yes. Yes. Wow. So okay. we've we've loved Suzanne Collins our whole life without him realizing it. This is so weird. I feel like I'm in inception. I know. I was like, this is, I had literally hadn't known this because I don't research authors before I read their books. Yeah, not at all. But because we're doing it for the podcast to discuss the authors, you learn all this fun stuff. Yeah. Wow. Okay, cool. I know. So she began to write some children's books after that. And then she eventually wrote uh, the young adults novel, The Hunger Games. So this series has spent over six years to date on the New York Times bestseller list since publication in September of 2008, and it's been sold into 54 territories in 52 languages. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And in 2010, Suzanne was named to the Time 100 list as well as the Entertainment Weekly Entertainer of the Year list. So she's killing it. Then in 2016, she was presented the 2016 Author Guild Award for Distinguished Service to the Literary Community for exemplifying the unique power of young people's literature to change lives and create lifelong book lovers. Damn. Thank you for your service, Suzanne. I know. And this was the first time that the the Guild presented the award to a YA author. Really? Considering what that award is for? For lifelong readers? Wow. So they That's cool. Okay. That's the first time that I went to like a YA author. So I was like, she clearly has an amazing career path. Yeah. She did a lot of cool things. And it's really cool that she had already been successful before this, but then like this just took off in a way that she probably could have never even Well, how could you even imagine it? No. And like she mainly did it's either children or young adult she hasn't done anything adult fiction it's been specifically children or young adult because she also wrote like a children book series okay okay throughout her her time too so she hasn't really done anything else besides this specific genre okay okay you know we have like rl stein who does like children young teen and then adult too so yeah she just kind of her niche is children and young adult but also i forgot how dark young adult books can be like this concept is horrifying (laughs) and no wonder i like my books so dark as an adult Mm -hmm. because this is what i was reading as a young adult i know it's crazy but so good so good (laughs) All right, so the book, the description on good old Goodreads is, could you survive on your own in the wild with everyone out to make sure you don't live to see the morning? In the ruins of a place once known as North America lies the nation of Panem, a shining capital surrounded by 12 outlying districts. The capital is harsh and cruel and keeps the districts in line by forcing them all to send one boy and one girl between the ages of 12 and 18 to participate in the annual Hunger Games, a fight to the death on live TV. 16-year-old Katniss Everdeen, who lives alone with her mother and younger sister, regards it as a death sentence when she steps forward to take her sister's place in the games. But Katniss has been close to death before, and survival for her is second nature. Without really meaning to, she becomes a contender. 
but if she is to win, she will have to start making choices that weigh survival against humanity and life against love. Wow. Yeah. Well, they really give it all away, don't they? <laughs> well, <laughs> we kind of like discussed this earlier. It's one plot point is the entire book. <laughs> yeah, like the entire book is just based on The Hunger Games. Yeah, and Katniss and her story. You yeah, know? so it's... Yeah. <laughs> It's not super complicated as maybe some of the other books we've we've done. For the I guess that's also what makes it more YA also, yeah, that it's more like it's centrally focused. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. So to start, I'm just going to read a quick description that I saved to my Kindle highlights. So it's about the history of Pan Am to kind of give some background. So... He tells the history of Panem, the country that rose up out of the ashes of a place that was once called North America. He lists the disasters, the droughts, the storms, the fires, the encroaching seas that swallowed up so much of the land, the brutal war for what little sustenance remained. The result was Panem, a shining capital ringed by 13 districts, which brought peace and prosperity to his citizens. Then came the dark days, the uprising of the districts against the capital. Twelve were defeated, the thirteenth obliterated. The Treaty of Treason gave us the new laws to guarantee peace, and as our yearly reminder that the dark days must never be repeated, it gave us the Hunger Games. Damn. It sounds like not that far-fetched, which is so no. fucked up. But it's also, it's just wild. And this is kind of what I, why I love dystopian novels, because it gives you such a crazy perspective. On yeah. Unlike what you don't know. Yeah, like you don't know what could um, happen. Yeah, I'm not saying that this will ever happen, but still it's just can you imagine like if this country went to war against each other and the destruction that it would actually cause? Yeah, and like not being able to travel anywhere else, like being kept in basically within gates. You can't mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And and being completely well, yeah. controlled like that. Because you can't even go to another district. No. Like you're in you whatever district you live in, that's where you're going to spend the rest of your life unless you have the ability to go to the capital if you're, you know, affluent, which Which no one in the district up the is. line yeah. of the districts the districts, the more or less off you are. Yeah. But then it's also like the capital needs which we find out like as they go through what each district does, like the capital needs each and every district because of the industries mm -hmm. that they provide or the services that they provide to the capital. So it's like the capital is literally just ruling them to get what they need. And then they have their police there, the uh, peacekeepers mm -hmm. to make sure that everyone stays in line and to make sure that the dark days never happen again. Which is still kind of like representation of like our country because you have the government that controls everything. Sure do. They sure do. That's why I'm like, and this they, is not that far fetched. <laughs> they need certain, you know, merchants to keep, you know, you need farmers and agriculture mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in order to survive. And so it's not far fetched at all. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it, it's a system that makes sense. It's just like on a, a smaller, stricter scale, but it's all yeah. the same idea. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Oh, that's terrifying. Okay, go on. Yes. So the next is the rules of the Hunger Games are simple. In punishment for the uprising, which crazy. Punishment. Crazy. Yeah. <laughs> 
Each of the 12 districts must provide one girl and one boy called tributes to participate. The 24 tributes will be imprisoned in a vast outdoor arena that could hold anything from a burning desert to a frozen wasteland. Over a period of several weeks, the competitors must fight to the death. The last tribute standing wins. Which, again, we're talking about children between the ages of, what is it? 12 and 18. 12 and 18. So it's like... So you have 18-year-olds hunting 12-year-olds. And not even and that... how is that fair? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And not even just that it stops there, but that it's broadcast as the Olympics, basically. Yeah. Or as like a sporting event or a, an award show. Like it's it's literally that's, their that's entertainment. It it's, it's pure entertainment for them. Yeah. Which is just, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Mm-hmm. So there are definitely a good chunk of themes throughout this book. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are interwoven together. Because as you read the book, it's definitely everything is from Katniss's point of view. So it's like a one point of view novel and her being in district 12, which is definitely the most less off district. There's a lot of poverty there. Mm-hmm. It's But we find out it's not the most, um, the most dangerous yeah. necessarily, but it is mm-hmm. the worst for the citizens. Survival. Yeah. 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 So there's a lot to see it's really interesting to see her journey from district 12 to the capital mm-hmm. and her realizing the differences in her life compared to these young kids from other districts mm-hmm. so one of the biggest themes is the inequality between the rich and the poor yeah definitely so the nation of Pan Am is split into 12 districts the districts closer to the capital are more affluent than the ones farther away And an example of this is that the tributes that are the first couple of districts, they're the tributes that are there. They're known as career tributes. And these are the ones that are trained prior to the Hunger Games and therefore are stronger, bigger, and better prepared for the games. They have this luxury to get this training and it's more common for a career tribute to actually win the Hunger Games. Mm -hmm. And for them to volunteer themselves because they want the fame that comes with winning. Exactly. So you have these young kids who have the ability to train to basically kill people. Yeah. And they train from when they're probably even earlier than 12 because they can enter at 12. Because it also, it doesn't say like in the description but obviously the whole thing is the tribute at the end the one lone tribute who wins has fame and fortune for the rest of their life enough money to be comfortable for the rest of their life which to someone in one of district one or two they just want the fame but the money to someone in district 10 11 12 would change their entire life it would mean that they Mm -hmm. wouldn't starve to death no and then district 12 only had the one winning tribute which was Hamish. So yeah it's, it's not the odds are not in katniss <laughs> and favor, not in you know? <laughs> so <laughs> you know what i mean so it's when you're especially when you're going up against these kids who've been training and are prepared to enter the arena and tear everyone to pieces yeah yeah So District 12, where Katniss comes from, is a district with more poverty. 
There have been times where Katniss came close to starvation and she was ultimately forced to illegally hunt in the woods outside of the district in order to feed her and her mother and sister. Mm-hmm. So you have these districts that are near the capital that they don't have this issue. Right. They can eat. They can do. They have electricity. They have all this stuff that they don't. It's like a normal, a normal life. Yeah. Whereas yeah. you have District 12. These people are some days people go days without eating mm-hmm. or there's not the ability to to have food or to afford food. And what they are eating isn't meals. It's no, like a random piece of bread. Killing squirrels. Yeah, yeah. Cooking up squirrels. And another thing that the capital, another piece of control that they have over them is that if you want to get, what is it, a month's worth or a year, yes. a year's worth of grain, you can put your name additionally into like the pot yeah, to, for the names actually, to be picked. I'm actually coming up to that. Oh, please do. I'm sorry. I'm sorry yes. for jumping ahead. No, 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 not yet. No, but I was like, I was like, wait, no. I, and I think that's in this, this section of theme. <laughs> okay. But yeah, you know, so she, especially since her father died at a young age in the mines, Katniss became this, this the sole provider for her, her mom or her sister, mm-hmm. which is also, but the, cause the mom like checked out yeah. once the dad died, she kind of had, you know, a mental breakdown more or less. Yeah. So Katniss steps up. And so Katniss is already this strong young girl. Mm-hmm. And, and she's only 16. You just immediately root for her from the beginning. Mm-hmm. I did anyways. Because she, only because I like that she took, she came from such a hard place and like she almost, almost like dies of starvation, I know, a couple of years ago. And she just finds it within herself, the strength to be that provider and yeah. to take care of her family. And she basically is the person that takes care of her family from there on out. Yeah. And it's from then on, it's really her will to live is to take Mm -hmm. care of them. Yeah. And that just, it just shows like her strong character and then teaching herself how to hunt. Like she's, I feel like she's, she's smarter than she gives herself credit for. Oh, definitely. Yeah. But she's also never been around other people to compare herself to. Mm-hmm. Like all she has is what she's seen on TV of the past games or of the other districts. Like they don't know enough about the other districts to compare themselves to anyone else. Yeah. And so instead of looking at herself as smart or whatever, she just looks at it as I'm just trying to survive like day mm-hmm. to day to day. I'm just looking to survive one more day. Yeah. And she also it's she finds out. When her and Peter are at the Capitol, too, that, or actually, no, this is when they were in the games. She thinks that the people that, so her parents, his parents run a bakery. Mm-hmm. And so her assumption is that, well, they're well off and they're eating well, but they're not. Yeah. Yeah. They're eating the burnt bread or the leftovers that doesn't sell the stale bread. So it's, it's all about like appearances. Yeah. And it's too. about her assumptions. I feel like. Yes. She has this mindset that the entire world is against her, which it is. Mm -hmm. But because of that assumption, 
there are other assumptions that she's made that aren't necessarily true, like mm-hmm. about PETA's family and, you know, yeah. some of the other families in she, District 12. She definitely has a lot of assumptions about PETA. Yeah. Yeah. She, and then, and I just feel like he just continuously, like, proved her wrong. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's definitely <laughs> an, an, an evolution in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> So when she arrives at the Capitol and she's surrounded by all the food imaginable, she's basically in awe of it all. Yeah. She can't believe the array of food that's placed in front of her. And she gets to try things she's never had the luxury of trying before, like hot chocolate. Mm-hmm. And she gets to fill herself up with food, which is something she's never experienced before. Yeah. Like she's never been full. Full. Yeah. And there was uh, one part where she's eating something. It's like chicken with like the, the, uh, orange sauce or something and she's like mm-hmm. trying to think about how would I even make this meal like I wouldn't be able to get a chicken but I could probably get like a wild turkey and I wouldn't be able to get the peaches but I could mm-hmm. probably get some oranges and like she's like I would have to hunt for days and trade this this and this just to make one meal that they have in the capital that they could have any time that they want as much of it as they want. And she could even request any food she wants. Yeah. So if she's yeah. hungry in her room, she just goes on and she just looks like, okay, I want this. So it's this whole, it's basically a brand new world. Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. And she's stuck between being in awe of it and being disgusted by it, mm-hmm. which is totally because understandable. You have a district that's, basically living in poverty and starve multiple districts that mm-hmm. are living in poverty and starving and you have the ability to be this well off and you're not going to share that well yeah and she Even says a minuscule of it a, a tiny bit of it mm-hmm. is enough to to save thousands of lives yeah and they're just like nah. and she says that's how people die in the seam in district 12 people die from starvation mm-hmm. like they don't die from natural causes like they die from starvation you don't die from old age. <laughs> no, it was no. You just you die because you can't find food. Yeah, exactly. And you live in a world that's shit. Unbalanced, completely and, you unbalanced. Know, the president is terrible and won't do what's right. Yeah, for his own, you know, <laughs> selfish reasons. So, as you had mentioned, the Tessera system. So another example of the inequality is the Tessera system and the way the tributes are selected for the games. So there's a lottery where the tributes are chosen, known as the reaping, and it's completely random and anyone can be picked. The poor are more likely to end up as tributes than the rich, since in exchange for extra rations of food and oil, known as the Tessera, those children eligible for the games can enter their names into the reaping lottery additional times. Mm Mm-hmm which is what you said. So Katniss every year would add her name in more times to get to get the food and oil for their family for the year. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so would Gail. And Gail had mm-hmm. a lot more siblings than she yes. did. So Gail's name was in there like 10 times mm-hmm. as much as Katniss's yeah. was. It was like 100 times. Yeah. It was crazy. So in order for survival, most children of poor families have more entries in the reaping than children of wealthy families and are more likely to be picked as a result. The rich who do become tributes are the ones who have the advantage of training and usually volunteer instead of being chosen. And they also are well fed and healthy and Mm -hmm. a lot more likely to 
survive in the games based on that alone, not just because mm-hmm. they're trained killing machines. Yeah. So there's definitely a divide in 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 the in Panem. Yeah, and it's almost like a what's the word? Like a scale. Because yeah. it's like the closer you are to the capital, like you said, the the closest mm-hmm. are the wealthier and the more, you know, successful, well off they're the capital helps them out more. And then slowly as you move out, it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. And that's why District 12 is the poorest of the poor. And in that way, it's the worst district. Yeah, absolutely. So that's probably one of the, the biggest themes. And then the next theme that is the most disturbing theme <laughs> is suffering as entertainment. Yes. <laughs> So the fact that this world is, you know what would be a fantastic idea? Let's put children together and into an arena to survive, but only one can be successful. And in order to be successful, they have to kill each other. And we'll provide them every weapon they could ever imagine. Uh Uh-huh. And if they decide that they don't want to kill each other, we'll just throw in some like some wild animals, some fires, some no water so that they they are dehydrated. Like we'll we'll help them along. Yeah. Or we'll get them all in one place and provide the weapons, force them together, force them to fight it out just to make sure that it doesn't get too dull. Yeah. So reading this as... You know, and I forget what year this came out. 2008. 2008. So I was still a teenager when this book came out. So it's, you read it at a young age, you don't fully understand the concept of the book. Yeah. Reading it now in my 30s, I'm like, holy shit, this book is fucked. Yeah. Fucked. Yeah. That's why I'm like, this is dark. Like, yeah. teenagers read this? <laughs> And it's crazy because I think as like a teenager, you're not your, you know, they say your your brain is still an adolescent brain until you're age 23. And you haven't experienced as much real world stuff either as a teenager as you will right. when you're an adult. So it's you you read it and you're like, this is just pure entertainment. And then you read it as an adult and you're like, oh, my God, this is. Yes. And you don't think about like, holy shit, this could actually happen like not exactly like this but this could Mm -hmm. actually happen like the government could do this if they wanted to absolutely so as an adult you are able to take what's written and look at it and and i looked at this book in an entirely new light yeah rereading it yeah me too and what i did when i was younger so the games present the tribute suffering as mass entertainment the more the tributes suffer ideally in battle with one another, the more entertaining the games become. The main draw of the viewers is its voyeurism in watching the tributes, who are children, mm-hmm. fighting and dying. Mm-hmm. And not only in the capital where they're watching it as their yearly entertainment, but the dis- the other districts are forced to watch it. It's uh, projected onto TVs in the square, in people's homes. Mm-hmm. It's They're forced to to watch the games so even the other districts where their children are have a you know i don't know what one in 12 is i mean one in 24 is how many percent chance it is but anyway they have like a 99 percent chance of dying okay and they have to watch (laughs) 
their children yeah. die. Yeah. But then what's crazy is that the spectators want to see a morbid, gruesome spectacle, mm-hmm. especially the people in the Capitol. Mm-hmm. Because they have no stake in this game. No stake in this game. It's pure entertainment for them. Whereas, like we said, the districts, especially the, the you know, 10 through 11 and 12, it, the stakes are higher for them because they know that there is a much, a 99.9% chance that their child is not coming back. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't have the survival skills. They don't have... The means not, to... Yeah. yeah. And the, so the capital they, sees it as, not even as a movie, but as like a video game. Because oh, yeah. they have the ability to control some mm-hmm. of what happens in the arena. So yeah. that makes it even more like they're, they disassociate and just see it as pure entertainment. Like you said, like this is literally just for us to enjoy... We're not thinking about the actual consequences and what's really happening. We're just thinking, oh, my God, let's get the bloodiest, most gruesome death. Oh, those two used to be allies. Get them to turn on each other. This will be great. Yeah. And if the games are over too quickly or too boring, they're not happy about it. They find it not enjoyable. And this Mm -hmm. isn't what they wanted. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely no rules except apparently no cannibalism. That's the only rule. Because there was one, there was one year that they were like eating each other, and they're like, you know what? That's a step too far. Yeah, yeah. Even the capital Which... people are like, ooh, wait a minute. We draw the line somewhere. Somewhere, and it's that's where it is. Jeffrey Dahmer okay. is where it is. So, anyways, the game makers will make things happen in the arena to push tributes together or cause havoc in order for death to occur. Mm-hmm. So one of the more sinister actions of the game makers was delaying Cato's death at the end of the novel. And in the end, Katniss takes mercy on him and shoots an arrow into him, effectively killing him. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when those crazy mutations come at the very end of the novel, the game makers made sure that Cato was still alive for yeah. basically like 24 hours. Yeah. But he was on the brink of death. Screaming. Yeah. For 24 hours. But the, but they thrive on young kids suffer. And they forced her to add another death to her, yeah. to her kill count just mm-hmm. to put him out of his misery. So, like, not only did they have to live with the sounds of him dying, but now she has to live with the fact that she killed him, even yeah. though he was going to die anyway. Yeah, and so, like, they want to deliver, like, prolonged suffering to the audience at home, which, again, like, I just can't, I don't know. I know. It's crazy. You can't even say that seriously. <laughs> no, and it's, you can't. And then, you know, when Katniss was getting too close to the edge of the arena and she was too far away from the other tributes, they caused a fire mm-hmm. to get her to, to go, to get back into the middle of the arena mm-hmm. because obviously her being farther away that's number one it's not entertaining yeah no one wants and to watch her just walking around and being no. safe all the time exactly like and she's surviving when they don't want her to survive mm-hmm. and then obviously she got injuries from the fire mm-hmm. which affected her performance yeah in the game so they 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 help it all along they say that this is the price that the districts have to pay for the uprising but really it's something that they have a hand in from the very beginning to the very end. Whatever they thought that they were doing in the beginning, it's much more than that now. Yeah. And now the they... they're so bloodthirsty, the the mm-hmm. ca- the people in the capital that 
every year it has to be a better show and every mm-hmm. year and like even just the way that they parade them a- around before the games and do the interviews and and you know interview all of them and like do you really think you can win like to the people who clearly aren't going to win it's just it's disgusting it's like mm-hmm. putting them up on this platter and then serving them to their death and imagine being a parent of one of these kids no, no. or being a parent no. in in general in this society like and that's what I wouldn't want to have kids well and that's exactly I, what Katniss yeah. says she's like yeah her and Gail have that conversation in the woods and he's like oh you know if we didn't live here she's like well we do live here so we could never have kids we would never bring our kids into this situation she's a realist yep yep it's fucked. anyway yeah. <laughs> so another theme is love and sacrifice so to me my personal opinion the biggest sacrifice and showcasing of love in this novel is Katniss volunteering as tribute for her younger sister Prim yeah for the Hunger Games so basically this was Primrose's first year at the reaping so her odds should have been slim to none yeah because there's thousands of people thousands of kids in District 12 and her name was in there one time and effie trinket was like you know what this paste paper looks good yeah i'm gonna read this name and then i immediately start sobbing when i'm watching <laughs> the movie because then the, the powerful line of katniss coming forward and screaming i volunteer as tribute she didn't hesitate for like a second in the book didn't hesitate she once the realization hit that her sister's name was called she immediately volunteered as tribute yeah to save her sister's life and not even thinking like, oh, I have a better chance than her, which she does start to think of later. She's like, wait, maybe I do have a yes. chance. Like she starts yes. convincing herself that she has a chance. But before any of that, it's just like, no, Prim's not going through that. And if mm-hmm. someone's going to die, it's going to be me. It's going to be me. No hesitation. It's the, it's the biggest, the biggest proclamation of love and sacrifice. Yeah. And it just shows how she really has taken on that role of being Prim's caretaker and making mm-hmm. sure that Prim is going to live, not, not grow yeah. up and be successful, but just to live. Yeah. And the theme of love shows up in different ways too, throughout the novel. Like you have the, the relationship between her and Gail and the mm-hmm. friendship that they share. And obviously you can tell that Gail is in love with Katniss and that. Yeah. That's and even really... in the way that he promises yes. that he'll take care of Prim and take like her she has no doubt at all that he's going to keep hunting, yeah. keep providing for her family, keep them, you know, fed, do the best that he can. I, I will say, though, I did like his nickname for her. I did like that he called her catnip. Yeah, of course he did. <laughs> that was cute. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's like they have such such that like playful friendship that, like you said, there's obviously feelings there. But Katniss, yeah. it, the thought doesn't even cross her mind until she's in the middle of the arena. Like, because yeah. she would never allow herself to be in a relationship, to fall in love, to have a family, like that's not even on her list of priorities because the only no, priorities are surviving and keeping her family alive. Yeah. Yeah. And then you have her relationship with Rue in in the arena. And it's mm-hmm. it's a very it's a very small part of the novel and a very 
quick relationship, but you can feel the love that she because Rue reminds her so much of Prim. Yeah. So she immediately wants to take Rue under her wing and and care for her. Mm -hmm. And it also is the the signal of a shift for Katniss in the games where remember she had that conversation with Peta where he's like, I don't want to lose myself. And she's like, I can't afford to think like that. Like, I just have to survive. And he's like, if I'm going to die, at least I want to die as me. And she had no idea what he was talking about. But then once Rue dies, she's like, okay, I do get it. Because, Mm -hmm. yeah, they can take my ally away from me and they can kill this 12-year-old innocent little girl. But I'm going to make sure that they can't show her dead body because they won't want to show the thing that I did for someone I'm supposed to be killing, you know? Exactly. So it's like that small, small rebellion. Yeah, which we'll get to. Yes. And then obviously the biggest relationship in the book at the end is Katniss and Peeta. Yes. And then you come to find out that this kid has been in love with her since like elementary school. Literally since elementary school. And Katniss is like, the boy who gave me the bread doesn't know who I am. Like, she's fully convinced that Peter doesn't remember her. Yeah. Doesn't know what he did for her. Has never noticed her before. Because, again, like we said, her mind... She, she thinks he's on a different planet. That, too. She doesn't care about other people. Yeah. And their opinions and thoughts. She only cares about her immediate surroundings and her survival mm-hmm. and her family's survival. Mm-hmm. And obviously Gail, because her and Gail do have a friendship, so she cares about Gail. But she doesn't think about anyone else in any other way. Yeah. So she's completely shocked, <clears throat> especially, you know, before the the games and when they're being interviewed. And which I, I just... His name, oh my God, I'm blanking. His name was Caesar, right? Yeah, Caesar. Listen, Stanley Tucci played him fantastically in the movie, by the way. Incredible. But I love I love his, ca- his character is so problematic, but I love him. And so. But not as much in the book because, no. well, I mean, he's still horrible and he's still like the yeah. host of these games, but. Katniss talks about how like he does his best to help them out when he's interviewing yeah. them and he'll like try and make a joke or try and make light of something like he does try mm-hmm. to help them so that they're not just sitting there like blank faced so that the the yeah. crowd can connect to them in some way. So Katniss is legitimately shocked when Pete admits that he, the girl that he's in love with he's basically fighting to to live. Yeah. He he can't win the girl of his dreams because he came there with her and so now they have this star-crossed lovers but she she doesn't even think that he's serious she thinks that he's doing it to undermine her and make her look weak and she hurts his hands she slams him into a vase (laughs) and then she feels bad because his hands are all damaged he's got to go out and kill people tomorrow but he can't use his hands And, like, she doesn't even think, because that's why when you said, like, you're immediately rooting for her, I agree, but I don't think that makes her likable. She is so selfish, because she's had to be, but she's so selfish that she doesn't even think that that could be a real thing, that someone could care about her like that. She thinks the only reason someone would say something like this is to, like, make me look weaker. And then... Towards the end of the book, when they're 
able when the whole twist comes in the game that if there's two tributes from the same district if you can make it to the end together then you guys can both survive yeah so she immediately rushes to find him which his thing was so cool that he like basically was good at painting and he could make himself like look into moss yeah and he's like (laughs) that was i love that decorated the the cakes yeah i like i love that that he was basically able to survive because he was able to do camouflage on himself yeah no i thought that was really cool too yeah so obviously i'm a huge nerd for romance and so I highlighted a couple cute things. <laughs> oh, here you go. In the book about it's only children two killing it's each only other. Two Let's hear it, Heather. But they fall in love, too, so it's cute. All right, so like the one was like, I lean over and put my good ear to his lips, which tickle as he whispers. Remember, we're madly in love, so it's all right to kiss me anytime you feel like it. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God, they're so cute. <laughs> I Did you read a different book than me? Because they do not fall in love, Heather. No, they don't. But it's like, but but they do in a sense. They one-sided fall in love. It's because I just don't think that Katniss has the ability to truly believe that someone could care for her. Exactly. So, but then I like when he was like, I remember everything about you, says Peta, tucking a loose strand of hair behind my ear. You're the one who wasn't paying attention. Oh my god. Sounds like a red, white, and royal blue conversation. (laughs) which which well then we also find out that Peta's dad was in love with katniss's mom i know plot twist i know so cute that that i thought was adorable i agree with you okay i think Peta's an angel i don't think they fell in love (laughs) no they didn't they didn't it was they didn't fall in love in the arena but their time in the arena spent together was the catalyst to make Katniss realized that she did care for Peta. Right, right. And to and that she, that she cared about Gail. It made her realize yes. that she was confused. Yes. And so it's obviously I know that she didn't fall in love in the arena with him, but it was it was nice to see her her energy kind of shift a little bit and then she was even in the arena, especially with Rue and then and then with Peta, she was able to be selfless in a way that she was willing to take care of other people yes that wasn't her family i agree with that and i think it was that protectiveness mm-hmm. which she saw it as protectiveness but it really was love and yeah. like as soon as she realized oh i can protect Peta, okay then that's my job as soon as yeah. she realized i could protect Ru- okay that's my job that's what i have to do mm-hmm. like because that's what she does at home that's who she is so i and I think that that almost helped her thrive in the games because she was able to relate to a piece of her that's who she truly is. Yes. And and, re- and relate it to not being in the games. Like, that's just what she would do in her life. Mm-hmm. So another theme, obviously, is survival. And this is just prevalent from the get-go. Yeah. The first, from the beginning to the very end, survival is key in this book. Yeah. That's probably the biggest theme the main theme you know in the beginning Katniss is hunting in the woods with Gail to feed their families and keep them alive Peta throwing her the burnt bread in the past Mm -hmm. you know finding ways to stay alive in the game is a huge piece of survival yeah her blowing up the food and the cornucopia to stop the tributes 
from stop them from from being able to survive mm-hmm. because she knows that they don't have the ability to hunt like she does. Mm-hmm. So they are hoarding all the food and supplies in the middle of the cornucopia. So she goes and blows it all up, yeah. which was really, epic. Really cool. Yeah, it's like eating the nightlock berries like that mm-hmm. was. And then I can't. I wrote the wrong thing. It wasn't a jabber jay. That was the bird. The mocking jay. Or the uh, yes. Oh, the, uh, the tracker jackers. Tracker jackers. Thank you. That whole thing within the tree when she knocked them down to get out, you know, the the other tributes. Mm-hmm. Like Katniss and survival just goes hand in hand. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's so smart. And it's the whole book is like survival is from page one to the last page because mm-hmm. in her everyday life, she's surviving just trying to, you know, stay alive for herself and her family. She's fighting to survive in this corrupt and fucked up society. Mm-hmm. And then the games are like a microcosm of that survival. Yeah. So the same survival instincts that she had, now she has to use, but people are actively hunting her. And it's mm-hmm. it's a much more concentrated version, but it's all the same thing. The whole point yeah. is... Like Hamish says, stay alive. That's yeah, the only piece of advice that he the can whole offer. Point of the book, yeah, is like stay alive. Mm-hmm. So it's, I really think that the modes of survival that the author puts in this book, some were fantastic. And then another big theme is, of course, rebellion that you mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So rebellion or defying the socially accepted normalities plays a very important role in the plot of the Hunger Games. Early on, we learn about the initial rebellion, which ultimately led to the creation of the Hunger Games as a punishment. Unknown to Katniss, she quietly defies the capital multiple times throughout the story, Mm -hmm. beginning as early as the first few pages where she begins to hunt outside the fences of District 12. Mm -hmm. So mm-hmm. in the beginning, she's already rebelling without even like realizing. I mean, she knows, but she's basically defying the capital because she's finding ways to to survive yeah. outside of of her district. And they go into basically like the black market in uh, District Twelve, and they're able to sell the things that they mm-hmm. hunt to the peacekeepers because there's that level of corruption already. That they're rebelling, but it's okay because the people who should be reprimanding them and ultimately killing them, like the punishment is death. They're in on it because they buy the things that they're selling. So it's like Mm -hmm. it kind of that act of of rebellion, it kind of makes it okay. It kind of validates it. And then she continues to rebel little by little in the games. And then the ultimate crescendo at the end with the berries yeah and like her wearing the mockingjay pin Mm -hmm. she rebels against the cruel capital with the way she respects rue after her death Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know and then like i said her her plan to consume the nightlock berries because once her and peter were the lone survivors all of a sudden they're like just kidding one of you still has to die yeah so for them the biggest they this was almost the outcome they were hoping for i think when they did this rule that if you're in the same district oh yeah survive you know, you're going to be the winners, but that's obviously unprecedented <clears throat> in the Hunger Games. There could only be one sole survivor. So they had hoped that it would be Peta and Katniss in the end because one of them would have to kill each other. And you know that if you know that if, if push came to shove and they had to, 
Peta would be like, you have to kill me, Katniss. Absolutely. Like, Katniss, you have to kill yeah. me. Yeah. Peta would sacrifice himself 10 times over mm-hmm. for her to live. And because then. obviously he loves her and then just, he knows that she's the better one to live. Yeah. She, she has more to live for in a way because he wasn't exactly happy at home and she's fighting not just for herself, but for her family. And also the capital wants to take down this, this idea that everyone has of Katniss after the games. Like she became this beacon of hope. Like no one thought that anyone from district 12 ever had a chance. And then all of a sudden she's, you know, show stopping with her, with her outfits and she's got such a high score in the training and all these things. And all of a sudden the capital is, you know, in, they love her and they want her to win. So they mm-hmm. think, okay, but then when she has to kill her, you know, the, the boy she's in love with, they're not going to love her anymore. And they're not going to look yeah. to her as their, their hope anymore. Because what is, what is uh, the president say? There's only one thing more dangerous than fear and that's hope yeah and it's true yeah and obviously i think one of her biggest rebellious moments too was when she was in the room with the game makers not to show off her skills and she shoots the arrow through the apple in the pig's mouth and says the you know the famous line of thank you for your consideration and walks out iconic that's uncalled for like you don't you're you don't leave the room you're supposed to be dismissed Uh and she's just like Fuck all you all. If you're not going to pay attention to me, I'm going to make you notice mm-hmm. me. And then obviously she thinks that there's going to be repercussions for that. But ultimately it gives her the highest rating. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's iconic. So. She she thinks she's like, what mistake did I just make? Like, are they going to punish Prim? Are they going to punish my family for this? Mm-hmm. And then it turns yeah. out that it paid off for her and it showed everyone, including the other tributes, that she was a contender. The rebellion theme was definitely one of my favorites. Yeah. Just because I love how, just how fantastic she is as a, as a character in this yeah. book. Yeah, yeah. And her, a lot of growth. Mm-hmm. Um, a couple that I thought of, abandonment is a big one. Because Katniss feels abandoned by her father, even though, you know, he died of no fault of his own or hers. But then her mother checked out after his death and basically everyone who fe- who she feels like could have or should have helped her along the way. But those feelings of abandonment are what lead to her independence. So mm-hmm. at the beginning of the games, when they're doing all of the interviews and the training and all this stuff, and Katniss and Peta have to pretend that they're this united front because that's what Hamish and Effie are telling them to do. She is furious. She's not used to relying on anyone. She she even says how long it took for her to trust Gail, even though he wasn't in a group of people who were being tasked to kill her. Like he was literally helping yeah. her and, you yeah. know, rebelling with her. And it took her that long to trust him. Like she's just she's so focused on her own independence that she has all of these walls up around her. And another big one is repaying debt which comes up yeah, a lot. A one. Um, so in the districts, especially in district 12, where food and money and supplies are so scarce, no one does anything for free. So Katniss mm-hmm. is obsessed with repaying her debts. So that's why she immediately hates Peta, immediately doesn't trust him because he gave her the bread that saved her life. 
So even though she thinks that he doesn't remember her, she still feels like she owes him because she would have died without that bread. And we also see how this bleeds into the other districts. So Thresh, which like this is another iconic part of the book. Yeah. He's also had to fight had to fight for survival every day of his life in his own district. And she's about to be killed by Clove. And he pulls Clove off, kills her, lets Katniss get away. And he says, I have this quote. He says, just this one time, I let you go for the little girl. You and me were even then. No more owed. You understand? So he's even obsessed with repaying his debts. And she understands that. And she even says, you know, after that happened, she's like, I totally understand why he feels that way. I feel the same way. Like when you have to fight for every single thing that you're that you get and you're not given anything you understand that nothing comes for free so she yeah and you don't want to owe anyone anything exactly so she gets how big of a thing that was for him to let her live when he could have just killed her right there and he could have won you know but it's like she understands that he wouldn't have been able to live with himself having that debt Mm -hmm. yeah so that's that's just crazy because it's because of the way they were raised, like the way that they've had to fight for survival forever. Mm-hmm. I agree. I think those are both definitely prevalent themes yeah. in the book. So, yeah, those are basically the main the main themes of the book. All the characters are so different in their own mm-hmm. way. One of my favorite relationships in the book, it's not in there a lot, obviously, but I love her and Senna's relationship. That was probably my favorite, mm-hmm. especially in the movie. Like Lenny Kravitz, Lenny Kravitz plays Cinna. So iconic. Wonderful. And he was like, if I could bet, like I'd bet on you. Like he's just Girl on Fire. Ugh. I know, Katniss the Girl on Fire. And he's just so typically because the District Twelve are minors, you know, their their in introduction into the games is very drab yeah. and not memorable and boring. And so when Cinna becomes the the stylist for for her for the, for her introduction to the game, he makes her stand out mm-hmm. from the very get go. Mm-hmm. Makes her noticeable. Then Katniss does her own to make herself noticeable. So she had a nice little push of confidence from Cinna, yeah. and then she becomes her own person in a way that's she knows what to do from there. And she's even just like being herself. Like when Hamish is like, "You need to be different when you do the interview," mm-hmm. and she's like. You know, and Cinna's like, just look at me yeah. when I'm in the, in the in the audience. Pretend you're talking to just me. And she's able to be likable yeah. and, and confident because when Caesar's asking her the question, she just immediately looks at Cinna and like she's ta- just having a conversation with him. Yeah. So their relationship was hands down my favorite. Yeah, I, I did love that too. And I also think, like we were talking about how Katniss is – she's such an enigma because like you are rooting for her like you said because of her sense of loyalty to her family and like because the stakes are so high and plus she's the underdog and you want the underdog to win mm-hmm. just to say fuck yeah. the capital but she's just she's so unlikable in so many ways because of the way that she was brought up and the way that she lets that affect yeah. Her, like that's why they find it so hard they're like what angle do we go for like 
you're not that funny. You're not that witty. You're not that, you know, you're not this, you're not that. And she doesn't know how, how to be. She yeah. Be? Yeah. Because she was immediately, she, she grew up in a world that all they know is po- poverty, starvation. Mm-hmm. They don't know they, nothing they have is yeah. old. Everything is, you live day by yeah. day. And, and she tragically, her father dies mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, she has to become an adult yeah. at a young age. She has to learn how to fend for herself and for her mm-hmm. family to make them survive. So she already has this hard outer yeah. shell. And she's never been able to fully experience who she could be as a person right. and get that emotional sensitive side because she's never had the yeah. ability to. And then she says, because they're like, oh, picture someone that you feel comfortable with. And she's like, the only person that I feel comfortable with is Gail. And I can't exactly pretend I'm talking to Gail because then we'd be talking about how horrible the capital is and how fucked mm-hmm. up the Hunger Games yeah. are. So she can't even be her true self in yeah. a way because her opinions are, you know, blasphemous. Yeah. And that's why she so never trusts PETA until the very end. She never believes that his motives are are real because she just can't imagine someone being selfless because she can't afford mm-hmm. to be selfless. It's not yeah. that she's just this horrible selfish person, it's that she's had to become that way because she didn't have a choice. Yeah, I also have, I mean, Peta. We talked a little bit about their alleged alleged yeah. love story. Um, but <laughs> I love his development because yeah. we only know him like you said through Katniss's perception. So we only know what Cap, how Katniss perceives him. So obviously she hates him at first because of the whole debt thing, which we talked to, we talked about. But she thinks that he's never had to suffer, et cetera, et cetera. And then the more that we learn about him just from him talking to Katniss and just from us seeing that his intentions are pure and that he really does like her and he's really liked her for all this time and he's not this rich kid that she thought he was like, we see his growth through her eyes, mm-hmm. which I think is really cool because then it's obvious that she's seeing that growth too, because we're seeing it through her eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Cause especially like, like we, I said before, he continuously proves her wrong. Like in the beginning of the games, when he teams up with the career tributes, mm-hmm. it's to protect mm-hmm. her. Come to find out. It's she thinks it's to have the upper hand to get rid of her, but it's not. He literally joins the career tributes because he wants to protect her from them killing. And she thinks, oh, he's proving me right by betraying me when really he wasn't at all. And then he tries to keep her safe. He doesn't want her to go to the feast to get the medicine that would save his life. And, you know, he's like, I'm not worth dying for. And if you die, I don't want to live without you. And it's just so tragic. And then you think about the fact that these are 16 year olds who have to say things like that. Like, I don't want to have to live without you. And I don't want you to die for me. Like, what? (laughs) It's also, it's just, it's crazy that they could have that kind of depth of really, of that, that depth of feeling. Yeah. But because they've had that drilled into their minds, they've known about the Hunger Games since they could learn like that's what they learn Mm -hmm. in school about the uprising and the rebellion and all this stuff like so they've had to grow up knowing about all of those things so like we just said we didn't know about that stuff when we were teenagers 
they knew about it since they were little kids. Mm -hmm. That's their history. All in all, the book was very well written. Mm -hmm. It was a really, really good book. And to move on to the movie adaptation, I think the movie was so good. Yeah. It held so close to the novel. It was very close. Very Very, close. Because especially, because I literally read the book and then the next day I rewatched the movie. Mm -hmm. And it was, I was, because obviously I read the book and then I had read the books and then they made the movie adaptation. So there was a space of time before between reading and watching the movie as a as when I was younger but obviously during this back to back I was like oh like holy crap like they really stayed pretty yeah. close and to- I was trying to watch it with like a critical eye because of this yes me too so there mm-hmm. were things that I did notice that stood out a lot to me, me too. um a couple like there was a lot less people at the reaping it felt like like children whereas in the book there was like thousands so in the movie it kind of made it seem like she had a higher chance of getting picked yeah um and then another thing when they got on the train i i feel like in the movie they didn't show how starving they really were in district 12 no i definitely feel like the beginning part of the movie of that world was definitely Yes, it didn't go into the depth that obviously the book was able to, but even like Mm -hmm. they didn't like gorge themselves on food on the train because they had never felt full before. Like they, Mm -hmm. they barely showed them eating. Like they, they made comments about like, wow, there's so much food, but like Mm -hmm. they, you know what I mean? But what I did really like was the camera angles during the games, like when something was happening, like when the, uh, the tracker jackers when she had gotten stung or when the explosion happened, like the camera angles were like flickering everywhere and the sound would get muffled. So you kind of felt like Mm -hmm. you were as lost as Katniss was like with the shaky cameras and stuff. I really liked Mm -hmm. that. I thought it was, it was a cool way to get inside of her head type thing. And it was, it was funny. We both had said this. So I completely blocked out the part about the dead tributes being made into like mutated dogs to go back to try to kill them and so when i read it in the book i was like that is the most morbid thing i've ever read yeah and the fact that she recognized them immediately like i was like that is such a dirty move by the game makers to do that and so I kind of liked in the book or in the movie, they were like, oh, they're just dogs. Yeah, yeah. I was like, <laughs> I did I'm like that, but also... I don't think I could emotionally <laughs> handle seeing, like, Rue's eyes on a dog trying to kill Katniss. Yeah. You know and what I mean? And even in the movie, like, she put Cato out of his misery very quickly. Like, they yeah. weren't there quickly, for 24 hours. Yeah. Yeah. But obviously, the scene with Rue when she died oh. and she's singing to her. I mean, I was... I'm, I'm already... I cry in general, but being pregnant, my hormones are 10 times worse. So I cry instantly and I was just bawling my eyes out. And I, you know, and I liked that for them. This was the one thing I liked because in the book, when she does the tribute to Rue, District 11 sends her like a a fresh loaf of bread and she realizes what that must have cost for them to send her that. And so I like in the movie, they're 
inter- interpretation of what she did for for Rue was the rebellion in District yeah. 11. Yeah. The town basically going against the peacekeepers and destroying everything mm-hmm. because burning again, their village to the ground. Yeah. Watching this 12 year old die. But then seeing someone care for yeah. her at the same yeah. time. So it's And they you know. saw that the capital couldn't the same thing that we said, like that she still kept that part of her and they saw that she was given that little fuck you to the capital and they wanted to do the mm-hmm. same thing. And I think that's yeah. good for the movie because it sets you up for the rest of the series. So I think mm-hmm. that was a good change that was made. Um I do think that Katniss in the movie was a little too meek compared to Katniss in the book. Oh, yeah. Like, no, I, I agree with and that, like, too. I, I think that for the the series as a whole, Jennifer Lawrence does an incredible job. But, like, the voice that she talked to Peta in was kind of, like, quiet and, like, girly. And I'm like, that's not the Katniss. No. Like, she didn't warm up to him right away. She was very abrasive with him. She wouldn't have been so meek or girlish around you know what I mean yeah and I actually feel like the chemistry in the book was not portrayed in the movie I think that in the later movies yeah Jennifer and Josh had a lot of chemistry Mm -hmm. but in this movie in particular I didn't get the vibe that I got when I was reading the book I I completely agree and I think that that was purposeful like, I think, I think that was because you couldn't, in the book, you could read the struggle that was going on in Katniss's head, because even though she had chemistry with Peta, she was confused about her feelings about Gale and stuff. But in the movie, I mean, they show Gale watching it and looking sad, but you don't get her inner monologue of her struggling with it. So I almost feel like the mm-hmm. fact that they didn't have chemistry kind of portrayed that. You know what I mean? Kind of. But like you said, in the series, it obviously changes. Yeah, but in the book, no, it, it too. really does. And obviously, like I like at the very end when she tries to like find him, you know, after they're whipped up into the plane or whatever. But I just, I don't, I, I think watching it, the movie years ago, I didn't really notice it. But seeing it now, I was like, oh, I kind of didn't. I wanted more from. Yeah, her. yeah. I and I didn't, and get I it. wanted more from her. Like I, yeah. I remember her performance in the later movies as being a lot more abrasive and stuff and like that's the Katniss that was in this book I definitely think she grew as an actress throughout this series yeah oh definitely because she was such she was she when she got hired for the role she was a newbie she wasn't really doing this was that's true she'd only done a couple like indie films the Hunger Games was her basically her shot into fame and so as she grew as an actress, her role as Katniss grew and became stronger. That's true. That's true because it was able to grow with her. Can I just say that they knew that this movie was going to do well because of this all-star cast. Are you effing kidding me? Like, all of the people who are in this, like we said, Lenny Kravitz, Elizabeth Banks, Stanley Tucci, Woody Harrelson, like just Donald Sutherland as President Snow, which it was interesting because so like President Snow is not in the first is not in the book at all. No, no, he's not. But obviously, although I did, I I fucking I loved I loved the ending scene when Seneca Crane has to go into the room <gasps> and eat the night yes. because he because he was pushing so hard 
for a redemption arc for uh-huh. Katniss and like an underdog thing. And President Snow was like, no, like I don't, this is, this defies the whole yeah. point of what this game is, what the game is supposed to represent. And so since he was wrong, yeah. basically. And, and he made Katniss them look stupid. Rebel, yeah. Yeah. He had to go in and eat the, the nightlock berries. I was like, that was a savage. Yeah. That was one of my favorite parts. Well, of the it's movie. also him just showing I'm always going to fucking win. Mm-hmm. You might be the game maker, yeah. but I'm going to find a new game maker. Yeah. But Donald Sutherland at Presidents know he's so yeah. good at playing. He's so good at asshole. it. So, okay. So I am obsessed with looking up the budgets for movies and listen to these numbers. The budget for the film was $78 million, which is a shit ton of money. And if you account for inflation, yes, I looked it up. That's $102 million. It grossed over $694 million in, with inflation, that's $909 million. Okay. So like 609 Yeah, but actually. $694 million return on a $78 million budget no, I is agree. fucking insane. I agree. And that's for the first mm-hmm. movie. So, like, mm-hmm. it only grows after that once people see the yeah, first movie. You know what I mean? Like, because this is this is a, a series where the sequels are successful. Like, it's not like mm-hmm. the first one is, all, you know, like Scream or something. Like, this is yeah. books that got better as she was more successful. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was fucking wild. But I, I loved the movie. Oh, like- I mean, obviously, I loved the book more. I think one of my favorite parts, though, is that's mahogany. <laughs> Such an iconic line. I it's know. Just like, I, it's just, it's, it was, it was good. It's crazy though because they have, they do have this all all star cast, and realistically, they're not in it a lot. Yeah. The whole movie is about Jennifer Lawrence. She's the star of the movie. Yeah. You know, but they still got these big names to be like almost supporting it's supporting roles no, that's one that's so true especially like yeah effie and Hamish. like yeah they're in it a lot in the beginning but not during the games at all Mm-mm. and no. lenny kravitz is in it for what a full minute if that like <laughs> it's crazy oh my god but he's he did yeah. great him and him and jennifer's chemistry was insane like, perfect yeah it was it was good I guess because there was so much that happened in the games portion of the novel that it's hard to incorporate all of yeah. it into the movie. But I kind of wish that they they completely like cut out her search for water and wanting yeah. water from Hamish and then her realizing, oh, if he's not giving that to me, then it must be because he knows I'm near yeah. water. Yeah. There was so much about their relationship that was cut out, but also because like so much of that relationship was in her head. But like, I mean, she could have vocalized that in the games, like, Oh, he must no. know that I'm close yeah. or whatever. But there was so much like even her knowing like, okay, a kiss is some broth. What like yes. the fact that she understood Hamish so much when they could barely be in the same room together because they didn't get along, you know? know? Well, that's the thing. I feel like her and Hamish were kind of cut from the same cloth. So it was cut from the same cloth. So it's, he definitely supported her and then doesn't know how to show that because he's a very, he's an alcoholic dude and he's just, and he, he doesn't, he like doesn't expect 
his tribute exactly and he says like maybe i finally have a chance to have a victor and then there's a point in the book where katniss says like how hard it must be for him to see the tributes every year because he's the only one he doesn't have any help he's the only survivor from district Mm -hmm. 12 so he's the one who has to look at these two people in the face pretend that he's going to help them and then watch them die and then he finally feels like he has a chance to have a victor and you know that comes up where you know Peta says yeah my mom said that we might finally have a victor she was talking about you like everyone had so much hope in Katniss and it turns out that it was well deserved because good job Katniss I mean you really made a fuckery for yourself with those berries (laughs) and i know and it was just i know and it was just it was funny like too and the one gift comes down from the sky and Hamish is like you call that a kiss yeah (laughs) yes (laughs) and it's like you could just read it in woody harrell's voice because i did oh yeah with his like gross stringing (laughs) hair oh my god but then (laughs) even like even the whole thing with the berries the fact that she's like oh you know you're like oh my god she's so brilliant and then you realize that it's like the start of the real fight for her life. And Hamish yeah. understands that and is able to convey that to her and exactly. convey the gravity of what she did when she's not able to understand it. And mm-hmm. that's another part of them just like really being able to understand each other, which is really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think the movie was pretty well mm-hmm. done. Cause like, as usual, a movie made from a book is never going to be exactly like right. a book. It's literally impossible. And this was before they were doing the... TV series also. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think it was, and they only got better. Like, yeah. Catching Fire was my favorite book and my favorite movie. Oh my god. I'm so obsessed with the fact that we did this that we're obviously going to have to do Catching Fire. Do we, like, even have to go through our ratings for this book? Because... <laughs> <laughs> well, before we okay. do... We do have some questions from our listeners. Then you had some questions okay. that you wanted to ask as well. So one of the questions we got was, if you could recast any main character, who would it be and why? And if I'm being perfectly honest with you, I thought the casting was great. I I agree with you. I actually had no changes. 10 out of 10. I came up with one just to honor our listener who asked this I question. Agree. So I said Clove. Just from the description in the book of her being this like huge force who trained her whole life to compete and her stature in the movie. Like obviously we saw her with a knife and we saw her just like hitting bullseyes with her eyes closed and stuff. But her stature was just so unimpressive that I was, I thought it was a weird casting for her being one of the careers. Yeah, I didn't even think about those characters. Because I, I couldn't think of a main character that I would I know, change. Because, <laughs> I know. I know. Because I just think that they, they really did a really yeah, good job with yeah. the cast and like, this movie. I was thinking Whoever. like maybe Prim because, you know, she didn't have any personality. But then like you see in the later movies that she's the perfect person mm-hmm. for her role. So yeah. I, I, you know, I had to say someone. So that's what we got. <laughs> All right. What's our next question? So this question, I I read it and I was like, oh, I have nothing to contribute because. So it says, what would be your skill to help you win the games and how would you use that to help or hurt Katniss? Girl, I don't know how to survive. No, I'm that one that if a horror movie is my <laughs> life, I'm the first one dead. I'm dead instantaneously. I am a klutz. There's 
I would literally, I would have been that person that accidentally stepped off the thing and blown <laughs> blow myself to pieces. Because I either couldn't balance or I jumped too soon. Like, I'm just, I mean, like, I'm smart. I'm sure I could, like, think of things. But I'm like, no, if I were in the games, I'd be the first one dead. Yeah. I I also could not, like, I have no survival skills. <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> I hate being chased. So I would literally yeah. just turn around and be like, kill me. Kill me. I can't be chased. I know. But I know. the only thing I could think of is, like, I'm really good in a crisis. Like, I don't panic. And yes. I'm able to think clearly, yeah. but that doesn't mm-hmm. help me. Like that would help me if I got no. hurt. That's not going to yeah. help me hunt people. <laughs> like it, would I help or hurt Katniss? I would try to be her ally so she could help me. I mean, <laughs> I'm like, like it's, I have like, I'm so book smart, but I have like no common sense sometimes. But you so, have okay. Give yourself some grace here, Heather. This is not a normal situation that you should have to be thinking about. Okay, this is an unfair question. <laughs> but like, for instance, there was one time my carbon monoxide detector was going off in our house when I lived at home, and it said like something like "Go to fresh air." And I thought the carbon monoxide detector needed fresh air. So I put it by the window, not realizing that I needed fresh air. So I would fucking die. Yeah, you're done. I'm sorry about that. You're done. done. It was, and I was was in my 20s when this (laughs) happened. This was not like me as a child. I was in my 20s. My mom was like, why is the carbon monoxide detector by the window? And I was like, oh, it said it needed fresh air. And my mom was like, like it what? doesn't, it no. doesn't. You needed fresh yeah. air. You could have died. And I was like, okay. So now we know if you ever get put into the hunger games, they just have to carbon monoxide you, like put you in a garage with a car that's on. Probably the okay. best way to go. All right. That's, I mean, that's, that's the most painless way to go. I think so. It's better than getting an arrow <laughs> through the heart. So, yeah. Okay. So, so neither of us are surviving the hunger games. Neither of us are helping no. or hurting Katniss. Nice. Thank you no. for the question. If anything, I'm helping her win because I'm dying. Exactly. Totally. I'm. So I guess I yeah, am helping I'm like, her. do you want me to put that arrow in my own chest for you? Thank you. Thank <laughs> you for killing me. This is stressful. Exactly. I don't want to do it anymore. Um, I don't handle stress well. Anyway. Okay. No. So one of my questions, and we already know the answer, but I just need you to think about this book only. This book only. Just the Hunger Games won. Are you Team okay. Peta or Team Gale, and why? Team Peta. And for me, it was his selfless act of giving her the bread. That mm. got me, like, immediately mm-hmm. in the book. Because he could see this girl that was on the brink of death. And even though his mom was, like... His mom, like, his beat him after. A bitch. Yeah. Yeah, like, he still, like, threw some bread to her to at least help her live another day. Okay. And I just feel like Gail is just so, like, abrasive and kind of, like, hard-headed in a way. Oh, yeah. I don't like and almost, like, possessive of Katniss, which is kind of toxic. In this book, though, Heather, in this book, we're only talking about book number one. Yeah, I know, but I kind of still got the vibe. I mean, I, okay, okay, let me, let me tell you why I disagree. And it's because I'm thinking of PETA, okay? 
I'm saying specifically for this book, I'm Team Gale because PETA deserves better than Katniss. <laughs> That's why I'm Team Gale, okay? Katniss is still too selfish. She isn't looking at the bigger mm-hmm. picture yet. She barely thought she could have a future. So how can she envision how great a future with PETA would look like? And first, I mean, last and most important, PETA does not deserve to be a second option. Period. No, and I, I guess I guess like I'm just so biased now because I have read all the books. You're team PETA for yourself. Okay, we're talking about for for all Katniss. Seven. Okay. No, okay. No, I can't. I love I just I love my my little my little bakery boy so much and his kind little heart. Oh yeah, this I love a sensitive soul. This 100% changes over the series. I just think for this book specifically, I'm like yeah. Katniss, you're a bitch, I can get it. okay? No, because you know what? Cuz I will I will tell you when I I do recall when I first read the book, I was really torn between yes. the two of them. Yes. When I first read the book, I was too. I will Yeah, I was like I didn't know who I wanted her yeah. to be with and I knew it was going to be a love triangle throughout right. the books. But then, like, obviously, as you read the other books, you're like, no, Gail is kind of, like, the worst yeah. person. Yeah, I agree. And also, like, it's just really, really sad at the end how PETA comes to the realization that Katniss wasn't being truthful in the arena. Even though she yeah. was to an extent, she wasn't prepared to to follow through with that. And it's just, like, really heartbreaking when he realizes that and heartbreaking when he realizes that he's not in on this agreement that Hamish and Katniss have. So I just think to spare PETA's own feelings, we need to be Team Gale for now, okay? It'll change next time. (laughs) Okay. I might already know the answer to this question too, but who is your favorite character? When I was a teenager, it was definitely Katniss. Mm -hmm. Understandable. As an adult. As an adult, it's Cinna. Mine too. Please yeah. tell me why. Well, you already talked about Cinna, and that's why I didn't say yeah. much because I was waiting for this yeah. question. No, because I just think he was that anchor that Katniss really needed, and I think, I think that if Cinna wasn't a character in this book, it would had she would have had a different outcome. Yeah, and her story would have been different. I totally agree. I totally agree. But because he was such a big inspiration for her and he believed he in was her, her rock. Like she's she's gone through her whole life not feeling, you know, cared yeah. for or or loved or anything. Well, I mean she might, I'm sure she felt loved by her family, but like she's never been supported. Yeah. yeah. And Cinna was like her number one supporter. Yeah. Like he literally, like I said he, before, he literally said, if I could bet, I would yeah. bet on you. And he had no and so she's, stake in her game either. Like, no. no, and he just, he just genuinely cared about her and she's never really had mm-hmm. that. And I think that their relationship, and I know like in Catching Fire, I think something bad happens to him if I remember correctly. And it's like, I just I think like, it's in Knocking. Uh, maybe it is Catching Fire. I can't fire. remember yeah. which one it's in. Yeah, and I just know that, like, as an adult, he's definitely my favorite yeah. character. I and I know he's like, and I know he's like a supporting role, but it's such but a he's, good yeah, and role. he he grows to be more than that. But also, like, just yes. his symbolism is more than just a supporting role. Um, I like how when they first met, he calls out the irony of him being from the capital, and he says to Katniss, "I highlighted it." How despicable we must seem to you. Because he knows what she thinks of yeah. him. 
And then it turns out that he's the only one there right at the end, right before the games begin. He gives her the confidence. He gives her the calm. And not to mention, at the end, he's on her side and he understands the shitstorm that's about to come. He understands the life that she just signed herself up for. And he's on her side when he's from the Capitol. So even though he barely has any face time in the movie and in the book, he's always this presence that calms Mm -hmm. her. And basically like the only thing away from home when she still feels like she can't trust PETA and Hamish and Effie, like he's the one thing away from home that she feels like she can trust, which is Mm -hmm. crazy because she knows nothing about him, but he just makes her feel that way. Yeah. So yeah, I agree. As as an adult, I'm like, can I have a sinna? Like, can everyone have a sinna, please? <laughs> I know. Like he's just so precious and it's and the fact too that he's able to allow her to have the mocking jay pin so she's able to have a piece of yeah. home with her in the games. Like it's just everything he did throughout his part in this book and in the movie, he did it with intention. Exactly. And determination. Exactly. Yeah. And he did it for her, not for himself. Yeah. He wanted them to stand out. He wanted her to to be able to prove to herself that she can be a Mm -hmm. contender and that she can be who Mm -hmm. she is. And that's okay. And that's enough. You don't have to contort or change yourself for appearances to try to get yourself more leverage in the game. Just be who you are. Yeah. Wow. I love Sina. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I know. All right, so now we'll write the book. So my rating system is out of five arrows through an apple. Oh, my God. I thought you were going to say, like, through a heart or something. I was like, Jesus, Heather. (laughs) This is dark. Okay, I'm sorry. sorry. It was a very iconic scene. It was. In the book and Right out of that pig's mouth. And it was the first thing I thought of, and I tried to be cute and clever. It was adorable. I'm sorry. What about when she was, like, the man fell in the the punch bowl and Hamish loses his shit? (laughs) I know. <laughs> I love it so much. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I'm um, sorry. Apples. I'm so sorry. No, it's okay. So I gave it 4.5 apples. Really? Please explain. Yeah, which is funny because when I rated it originally, I had get, it was five. It was five out of five. Five arrows through an apple, and rereading it, I I don't know. It's probably because it's YA. Yeah. And I'm yeah. older now. I think it was just I know I know that when I reread Catching Fire, it's going to be five stars because that was yeah. my favorite book. But this was just it was missing something. Okay. For me, and I don't know what it was. Okay. For some reason, I was like, I don't. Rem- it wasn't as it was good. I loved it. Don't get me wrong, but it wasn't as enjoyable reading it now as it was when I was a okay. teenager. Okay. Fair enough. If that makes any sense. No, I whatsoever. get it. I I get it because, like you said catching fire like this to me this series gets better as it goes along it does it really really so does. now i'm regretting that i gave this five arrows through the apple because i'm gonna no, have to also give don't. all the rest of them five i'm gonna have to go higher than five are we allowed no no that? no it's fine no because you're listen your your rating yes, is valid how am i gonna rate the other so ones higher times. i'm not gonna be able to we'll we'll make it work it's fine we'll change the rating system <laughs> Okay, so I'm sticking to my five <laughs> arrows through an apple. Yes, I I love everything about the story. 
especially the nostalgia yeah. part. But I love yes. that it's high stakes. There's so much character development. There's obviously mm-hmm. more to come, but in such a short, because mm-hmm. when you think about it, like we said, this entire book is centered on just the time in the games, basically, and like the couple days beforehand. So like mm-hmm. that much character development in such a short amount of time. And since I was reading this for like the thousandth time, I tried to look at it more critically. Like, do I just love, do I love this book or do I just love the series? But I think it's really descriptive and it helps you feel the desperation of Katniss, of the competitors, of everyone living in the districts and visualize the events that unfold in the arena, even in like the small ways that it's different than the movie. So that's why I know I'm not just like, oh, visualizing the movie, like the small ways mm-hmm. that it was different, like the mutts that we talked about, like I was able to yeah. visualize that. And so I think like rating it as a YA novel, I thought it was great. And I, I love that we no, did I mean, this. I- yeah, me too. It was actually really great to reread it because mm-hmm. it's been years since I've read it. Been years since I watched the movie, so it was kind of nice. Like you said, it was it was yeah. nostalgic. It was nice to like go back and like I'm excited to read more books from yeah. my past that I haven't read in years, just to kind of relive it now. Like I said, as I'm like I'm yeah. in my thirties now, and it's we've grown as people, and so you, you read these books from a new perspective. And that's I just really nice. love that a tale of. 24 teenagers all fighting to the death <laughs> brings us nostalgia back to when life was easier and I we know. didn't have bills and it's just to pay like, it's, so, and... <laughs> it's just so funny because i like read the book and i'm like the premise of this book is so dark and i just did yeah. not recognize yeah yeah that that's what i'm saying like I just didn't just it went it was over so my head far-fetched and now i'm like this yes. is real like this is uh-huh. a possibility <laughs> i know i know oh thank god that we're not 18 but all in all like i said it was great yeah i'm glad we read too. it there'll be more more episodes to come of older books past books that we've and, read from our childhood teenagers and um listeners let us know how you feel about dystopian genre also because yeah. there's a lot of good dystopian yeah books so I've we, read. that's definitely something and, we can dive into more too so mm-hmm. yeah and like i said we've said before keep an eye out we have a you know we're going to be reading some pretty popular books as long as as well as new books and old books so we would really would love to hear questions from you guys about the books and our thoughts or thoughts you guys have so you'll see i'll post We'll post as we get closer to certain episodes that we're recording and the books we're going to be doing. And we want your thoughts and questions. So like, subscribe, download our episodes, follow us on Instagram and TikTok at fully booked calf pod. Our email is fully booked calf pod at gmail.com. And thanks for checking us out. And remember, if you need us, we're fully booked. Bye. Goodbye.